And so we've asked Mike Davis to bring us the word this morning. I've known Mike for a couple of years now. I've just really gotten to know him really well recently. He's a guy I really love. Uh, he's got he, he, a, rare, a rare gift for the kingdom. He's got a mind that's incredible and a heart that's even more incredible. He's got a sense of, of the kingdom that's free from religion, and it's about setting people free. Um, he just got his doctorate three or four days ago. Give him a hand. And so, Mike, would you kind of come up here? Amen. Mike, Mike travels around the country doing seminars. Uh, he's also an assistant pastor. And uh, God's got great things in store for him, and there's, there's, there's a connection here that we want to be exploring and developing. I'd like us to pray for him. Um, Mike is from Southern California, and it's hard to believe, but he came up here and he's gotten sick. So he's, he's kind of fighting a little flu thing. So we're, we're, last service went, I think, really good. Uh, you know, God just, when we're weak, he is strong. So let's pray for him, all right? So Father, I just thank you for this man, uh, for what you've done in his life. Uh, God, for the way you've gifted him and the vision of the kingdom that you've given him. We right now, Lord, want to pray for his body. We pray for his throat, Lord God. Uh, we just rebuke anything that is inconsistent with your will regarding his throat. And if, if there's anything in the spiritual realm uh, that uh, has a strategy against him that is aggravating or causing this illness in the throat and, uh, and any other kind of nausea, we take authority over it in Jesus' name and apply the victory of the cross to our brother right here and right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, be healing him even right now as we're praying, Lord. We cash in our chips as kingdom people on behalf of our brother that he can bring forth the word. And Lord, let it come forth with anointing. Let it come forth with power. Let it come forth with your wisdom. Uh, set the captives free, Lord God, uh, to cause us to walk in a fuller, abundant life experience of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Brother Mike, preach it. Well, good morning. You have to excuse me just a little bit there. I am so happy to be here with you. Like Greg said, I am from Southern California where our weather there is, it generates between, uh, or fluctuates between 65 degrees to 75 degrees in December. And our Christmases are usually about 70, 75 degrees. I always say that's the way God intended Christmas to be. <laughs> Anything else is the devil. So. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. We've had a great weekend. Uh, I have been blessed that uh, uh, about a, actually it was a week ago, Friday, I finished my uh, doctorate, my degrees in first century Christianity. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know, my wife is in here somewhere, but she's uh, a real blessing because, you know, when you do things like that, you, you have to have a really good woman standing be beside you as well as behind you supporting you. As long as I say, amen, over here. Because <laughs> you can't get it done any other way. And so we've had a great time here with the, with the conference. We've been enjoying ourselves. I want to share something with you this morning that is, is something that's really dear to my heart. And that's talking about this whole issue, and I know Greg does it a lot too, about renewing the mind, how important that is. <coughs> Excuse me. Keep me up in prayer as I'm talking here. If you open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles with you. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says to them, <coughs> excuse me, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless into the coming 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God's will for us as believers is that we would be sanctified. And Paul prayed that we would be sanctified wholly. In other words, that our entire being would be sanctified unto God. Sanctified simply means that you are separated, something is separated unto God for God's exclusive use. That's what it means to be sanctified. And so Paul is praying here that we, as God's people, that we would be set apart, our entire being would be set apart unto God for his exclusive use. Now, Jesus also spoke to this in Deuteronomy, uh, not Jesus, well, Jesus did say this, but Moses in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, said that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Again, our entire being is to be given over unto God. We're to serve God with the totality of all that we are. That's the will of God for us. And most people would agree to that. Most scholars that I've read would agree that we're to serve God with our entire being. And they would say, yeah, we've got to give our intellect over to God. We've got to give our will over to God. We need to submit our intellect, submit our will, conform them to God's will. We need to submit and conform our behavior to God's will. And most of the literature written on godly living, holy living, they, they mention those three basic areas, intellect, will, and behavior. And what I always found, and what I have found up to this point, is that for the most part, they, they, they say those three areas, but there's one area they leave out, and that's the area of the emotions. They leave the emotions out. The general attitude where the emotions are concerned is usually, well, there's not much you can really do about your emotions. Your emotions are basically, you, you don't have that much control over them. There's not much you can do. And the, the attitude is to be very passive. You just, you know, think right, behave right, act right, and eventually, make the right decisions, and eventually your emotions will catch up. Anybody ever heard that type of teaching before? Or read that in a book? Eventually they'll catch up. Eventually they'll get in line. That's a very passive approach. One person who wrote a book on renewing the mind, what they said, they put it like this. You provide the, fo the form and let God fill it. You provide the form, let God fill it. And by form, they meant you provide the behavior and let God fill you with the right emotions. So they said, you know, just act loving. And eventually, somewhere down the road, we're not sure when, but God will fill you with loving feelings. And that's the approach that a lot of people take where their, their emotions are concerned. Yet Paul said that our whole being, all that we are, is to be set apart unto God for his use, sanctified. And so this morning, what I want to talk to you about, I'm, I'm calling this sanctified emotions. You like that? Sanctified emotions? I was going to call it emotional sanctification. I talked to my wife about it. She said, ah, that's not a good title. Call it sanctified emotions. She said, besides, that sounds more like Motown James Brown. You know, I thought about when I did, yeah, 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 sanctified emotions. Sanctified emotions. Ah, come on. They call, call sanctified. <laughs> So sanctified emotions. We're talking about how do we separate our emotions under God for his exclusive use? Or to put it another way, how do we get our emotions to serve us in serving God? How do we do that? Because the, the idea that a lot of people have about emotions is that where your Christian life is concerned, your emotions are not important. Doesn't care how you feel. Doesn't matter how you feel. What only matters is that you obey the truth. Ignore how you feel. Anybody ever been told that before? It doesn't matter how you feel. Ignore how you feel. 
Just obey God's truth. Really doesn't matter how you feel. Well, we have a Hebrew word for that. Can we teach you the Hebrew word for that? Here's the Hebrew word. Repeat after me. Ba, ba lo, lo, ni. <laughs> Baloni. <laughs> That's Hebrew for it ain't necessarily so. Your emotions are important. You know, it's amazing. When I first start teaching on the emotions, and I do teach this to believers, one of the first trainings we did, we had to teach people, and we had to get them to the point where they gave themselves permission to feel. They did not have permission to feel their emotions because they were always taught your emotions are not important. It doesn't matter how you feel. What is important is just simply obeying God. And the strategy that a lot of people use, there's two basic strategies people use. They either ignore their emotions or they practice what I call emotional constraint. You simply don't act on your emotions. You simply you ignore them and then you don't, don't give them any expression. And that can be important. That's necessary at times. We don't always want to act on everything that we feel. How many people here have teenagers in the household? Okay, and you know if you've got teenagers, you don't want to act on everything you feel. I have a daughter, she's 12, she's probably in here, and I'm mentioning her now, I'm sure she's going, oh, dad. But you know, she's a tween, and there are times we have to not act on how we feel, because if we did, we have one less child in the house. <laughs> so we don't always act. I love my daughter, she's listening, I love you wherever you're at, Olivia. I have three daughters, uh, there's all girls in my house. So I'm the only male in the house. I have a 12-year-old, I have a three-year-old, I have a one-year-old, and then there's my wife. And we, you know, we tried for a boy and just couldn't get the boy. And, and when we had the last one, my wife said, we are done. <laughs> and then she, she said, one of us is going to have something done. And then she looked at me. <laughs> like, got it. We're done. Why are you clapping for that? <laughs> Do I get no sympathy whatsoever? <laughs> I'm a, male, I'm a male in a female household. I get, oh, yeah, come on. I get told what to do all the time. Where was I? This has nothing to do with my message. <laughs> Sanctified emotions. Our emotions are to be set apart. God counts our emotions as part of obedience to him, of serving him. In Psalms 100 and verse 2, we are told, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve him with joy. We're also told in other scriptures, another scripture is Psalms 1 and verse 2. Psalms 1 verse 2 speaks of the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And that word for delight there, I don't like the King James version of that, because to me it doesn't really bring out what the word means. That word delight is the Hebrew term chafet, and it literally means passionate desire. It means to turn your heart towards something with a passionate desire in order to possess it. And in Psalms 1, verse 2, it says the, the man, his delight is in, his passionate desire is in or for the law of the Lord. Therefore, he meditates in it day and night. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, we're told, Peter tells us that like, as, like newborn babes, we should desire the sincere milk of the word. Now, that word is very interesting. That word desire there means to long for something, to intensely crave for it. Like I said, I have a one-year-old, and she's beginning to get weaned off of a bottle. But you know, when she wanted her milk, not one time did she ever come to me very calmly and say, Dear Father, 
would you mind preparing me a bottle? <laughs> she would wake up in the middle of the night and just start crying. Bye-bye. Ah! 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 Why? She intensely craved. She intensely longed for and desired. And Peter said, this should be the longing. This should be the passion. This should be the desire we have for the things of God. Your emotions do count. They count. How many of you have ever had the experience where you were thinking one thing, but your feelings were going in the opposite direction? You know, where Paul said, the good that I would, I do not, but the evil that I would not, that I do. And how many of you ever read that and go, amen, Paul? (laughs) I'm with you. You know, we experience that. We have a division going on inside of us. We know in our head the right thing to do, but our emotions are moving in a different direction. And so we struggle. And sometimes that struggle can get the best of us. Jesus stated a principle in Matthew chapter 12, a house divided against itself will fall. Now, for a short period of time, you can live with that division. But if you're having that division day in and day out, and there's never any release or relief, and there's never any change, eventually that will get to you. God wants us to separate our emotions unto him for his use. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, we, have, we see another place where it shows us that God wants our emotions to be involved in service to him. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Well, that word for will in Greek, it's a word that literally actually it speaks of a decision or a determination that's made out of desire. In other words, you decide to move in a certain direction. You decide to do something because you have a desire for it. It says here that God is at work within us. He's at work within you and me right now, seeking to incline our desires, our passions, to his good pleasure, his will. God wants our emotions involved in our obedience to him. He wants them to be sanctified, separated unto him for his use. That is the will of God. There's one other verse of scripture I want to talk about too. Psalms 40. Psalms 40. And we're going to show it up on the screen. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn there. Psalms 40. And I was really shocked when I, when I learned about this a couple of years back. Psalms 40 and verse 7 and 8. This passage of scripture is also used in the, in the New Testament to speak of Jesus. It's seen as a prophecy of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And it says in Hebrews, it's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 and 9. You want to look it up later. And in, in Psalms 40, what it says basically is, this is King James Version. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. And this is the key verse here. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And I, because of my studies and what I'm focused on in my studies, I, I study the Hebrew language as, as well as the Greek language, but I, I love Hebrew. And the word here for delight is the same word that's used in Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. Same exact word, chafetz. And it speaks of a passionate desire. So here the speaker is saying, God, I passionately desire to do your will. My heart is turned towards your will with a passionate desire, with a passionate longing. Now, why does he have this passionate longing and desire to do the will of God? It goes on to say, the last half of verse 8, Yea, thy law, which is the will of God, the word of God, thy law is within 
my heart. This word here for heart is actually in Hebrew, it's the word for bowels, for bowels. And in ancient Semitic thought, the bowels were seen by ancient Semitic people, the bowels were the place of the emotions and passions. It was the place of emotions and passions. And so he's saying, God, I am passionate to do your will. Why? Because your will is in the place of my passions. Your will is integrated in the place of my passions and my desires. They've become one. I have, an, I have a, a passionate desire for your will because your will dwells in the place of my passions. Here we see the will of God and passions integrated together. God wants us to be passionate to do his will. There is one other verse of scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. This is one of my favorite ones. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. This verse of scripture gives us some insight into how or, or what people do when they walk in the flesh and how we walk in the spirit. Anybody here ever walk in the flesh? Anybody? Only the people up here. I didn't see any hands back there. Oh, okay. There you are. Hi. <laughs> we all walk in the flesh. What, how do we walk in the flesh? It says, for they who are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. What does it mean to mind? The word for mind in Greek is phreneo, and it means to incline the intellect, the will, and the emotions towards. To incline the intellect, will, and emotions towards. This word for neo encompasses all of the faculties of mind, intellect, will, and emotions. And so when we walk in the flesh, it's because we are directing our intellect, our reason, as well as our will, but also our emotions. They're all inclined towards what is of the flesh. But here's the interesting thing. It says to walk in the spirit, you must mind the things of the spirit. To walk in the spirit, we incline our intellect, our will, and our emotions towards the things of the spirit. So your emotions are also involved, even in walking in the spirit. They are, they are a part. To walk in the spirit long term, to walk in the spirit as a way of life. It includes not only your reason, it includes not only your will, it also includes your emotions. They are all a part of that. So the question becomes, how do we incline our intellect, will, and emotions towards the things of God? How, how do we do that? How do we make that happen? And that's what I want to share with you. Just five simple steps of how we can incline our intellect, our will, and our emotions towards the things of God, towards the things of the Spirit. How we can separate or sanctify our emotions unto God for his use. How we can get our emotions to work for us rather than against us, to serve us in serving God. That is what God intended. He doesn't want us to be passive where our emotions are concerned. And by the way, if you'll notice where it talks about here, it says, for they who are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. They who are after the spirit mind the things of the spirit. It's the same process, but different content. Same process, different content. And we're going to talk about the process, at least the process as I, as I have come to understand it. Uh, there's different ways we can look at this. This is one way of looking at it. So let me share with you five simple steps that you can take in order to sanctify your emotions. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, get ready. Okay, here we go. Number one is you want to make a decision. You want to decide how you want to respond 
in a specific situation and then decide that you will respond that way. Decide how you want to respond and then decide that you will respond that way. And I'm going to use, to, to kind of walk these steps out and give it some, some uh, practical application, I'm going to use an incident from my own life. Uh, Greg did a message here one time, and I was actually here for that message. He did a message on, uh, the, uh, for him, it was his dark night of the soul. And I did a very similar message. And I told him later, I said, I, I did a message, it was almost word for word, at our church in Southern California called uh, When God Disappoints. And it, and it dealt with uh, just w what happens when you pray and things don't turn out the way you pray. And I went through an experience where I came to a point where I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like studying. I really didn't feel like seeking God. The idea that was in my mind was, what, what's the use? What's the purpose? And it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. I did. But I felt like God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, so why pray? And that had come as a result of some things that had taken place over a period of time in my life. Uh, my wife and I, we've had several deaths in our family over a short period of time. Her, it started off with her grandfather dying. A few months, three to four months after that, my grandmother died unexpectedly. We, it was something that, fa that the family totally did not expect. It was a shock to all of us. Three to four months after that, my uh, younger brother was killed in a car accident. Three to four months after that, my uncle died of septic shock due to not taking care of himself. He had diabetes. And then, uh, not too long after that, does anybody remember the date of the Columbine shooting? Remember what date that was? Anybody? April 20th. That was my birthday. And so I'm driving home and I hear that. And for some reason, when I heard that, I just kind of went into this depression. And I just felt like, you know, what's the use of praying? What's the use of seeking God? I prayed for my brother to live. He was in a coma for a week. He died. My grandmother died. I had, we had a really good friend of ours whose wife, we thought she had uh, pneumonia, come to find out she had cancer. And, she, and we prayed for her. She died. And it was just like, you know, what's the use? And I would go to church, and I would, you know, counsel other people. And the funny thing about it was, if we, when we were at church, if you said, Mike, we need you to pray for people, I could do that. I could pray for other people. But for my own personal life, I just didn't feel like doing it. Just didn't feel like doing it. And so I had lived through this. And I had made a decision one day, I was tired of living like that. And I thought, I want to get back to where I was before. So I want to use that as an illustration to show you how I restored, and with the Holy Spirit's help, my passion for God. And so the first step is you want to make a decision how you want to respond. I made a decision. I want to awaken each morning with a desire, with a passion, with a want to, to seek the face of God. That's how I want to respond when I think about seeking his face. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I've set before you this day uh, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. We have a choice. We get to choose how we're going to live life. We get to choose how we respond to life. We don't get to choose everything that happens to us, but we, do, we can choose how we respond to what happens to us. In James, the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 2, James says, if you're tempted, tested, and tried, count it all joy. You get to choose. You get to choose your response. And so the first step is you've got to decide for your specific situation, how do I want to respond? And then decide, I will respond this way. 
in this situation from now on. So that's what I did. I decided, you know, no, I, I want to respond. I want to get up in the morning. When I open my eyes, I want to have that desire, that passion to seek the face of God. So that's step number one. Make the decision of how you want to respond in a specific situation. The choice is yours. Number two, you want to reject and say no to every thought, attitude, every emotion that is contrary to God's will and your desire. Say no to every thought, every attitude, every emotion that is contrary to God's will and your choice, your decision. I had to do that. I had to make a decision. The Bible says uh, in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, the grace of God, which bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The word denying, and this is King James again, is actually, in the Greek, it's a word that literally means to say no to. The grace of God has appeared teaching us to say no to all ungodliness and worldly lust. The word ungodliness there in the Greek refers to an attitude of mind that manifests itself both in your emotions and in your behavior. It's an attitude of mind that manifests itself in how you feel about life or about other things and in your behavior. The Bible says we're to say no to that. We're to deny that. We're to reject that. And so in the same way, once you choose how you're going to respond, you've got to reject every other thought, belief, attitude, feeling, emotion that's contrary to your decision and that you know is contrary to the will of God. So I made a decision. I said, you know what? I am no longer going to respond the way I have been responding. I will no longer wake up and think to myself, you know, what's the use? It's not worth it. It doesn't do anything. God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. So why even pray? I am not going to respond that way. No more. I am not going to think that way, feel that way, respond that way anymore. And that's the decision we have to make. We've got to draw a boundary that I'm not going to go back to that old way of thinking, that old way of feeling, that old way of responding. So that's number two. You reject and say no to every thought, attitude, belief, emotion that's contrary to the will of God and your decision. Step number three, you want to practice and rehearse in your imagination the mental emotional response that you have chosen to live. You've got to practice in your imagination. You've got to rehearse. You know, one of the things that I found about believers that we don't do, so we, we, we tend to just jump into an experience, and we don't prepare ourselves for that experience. I remember one day reading, doing some research, and I was reading uh, this particular author, and he, was taught, he, he worked with Olympic athletes, and now he works with executives within corporations. And he noticed something about, he noticed the difference between Olympic athletes and executives within a corporation. This is what he said. He said, an Olympic athlete will spend years in preparation for just a few moments of performance. But an executive will spend all their time in performance and very little time in preparation. And when I thought about that where we as believers are concerned, I said, that's true of believers. We spend all of our time focused on the performance, but we don't really spend much time preparing for the performance. And the preparation is what helps to ensure that you're going to perform the way you want to perform. This is why people, this is why if you play a sport, how many of you ever play sports? Before you actually get into the game, what do you do? What do you have? We call it practice, right? Yeah, I used to play basketball, and we would practice. 
If you play football, they have you practice. You go out there and you run and you hit the, the tackling dummies. That's why I never played football, because I didn't want to prepare to be hit. Like, why would I want to be hit? That hurts. But they prepare you to be hit. They prepare you to take those lumps. Why? So that when you're out there in the game and somebody hits you and you fall on the ground, you don't go, I want my mother. No, you practice in private so that you can perform in public. So you can do your best in the public arena. So when you come times for your performance. And I found that as believers, we really don't take the time to prepare. The Bible instructs us and it encourages us to prepare. In uh, Proverbs chapter 12, we got that up on the screen. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5 says, The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. The word thoughts there in the Hebrew is a Hebrew term that means meditations or imaginations. It's literally saying the thoughts, the meditations, or the imaginings of the righteous are of what is right. The righteous think about, they meditate, they imagine what is right. This is why they live a righteous life. Proverbs chapter, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. What does that mean? That word provide in Greek, it literally means to think about something ahead of time with the result that you will more likely follow through and perform that behavior later. To think about something ahead of time so that you will more likely carry out that behavior later. In other words, it's using your imagination. It's to give attention to something ahead of time, to think about it, to prepare, to plan ahead of time. The same word is used by Paul in, in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, when he says, make no provision for the flesh. The word there means to think ahead, to imagine. When you're thinking ahead, you're imagining. And he says, don't think ahead, don't don't give place in your mind to the flesh, thinking about how to fulfill the flesh, because we, if you think about it, you are more likely to fulfill it. Now, we've all done this. How many of you have ever had an argument with a person who was not in the room with you? And don't sit there looking at me like, oh, holy, oh, no, Michael, we never. <laughs> We're Woodland Hills. We don't do that. <laughs> now, we've all done that. You know, we, get, we start thinking about what somebody said to us. I mean, how could they say that to me? How dare I talking about They've been not coming to me. They're talking about, I love you. Don't, don't, don't even talk to me like that. And how could she say that to me? Talking to me like that? She, I'm a man. You don't talk to me like that. It's all in our heads. But then when we see that person, guess what? All that stuff comes out. What you think about ahead of time, you are more likely to do. Matter of fact, take your hand like this. Then turn it towards your forehead and do like this. Now, this portion of your brain behind your skull is called the prefrontal cortex. Scientists tell us that the prefrontal cortex is involved in planning and that when you plan something, when you imagine something uh, in, in, inside your mind, you, you, you prep the prefrontal cortex to follow through and carry out that behavior. So scientifically, neurologically, and biblically, we're told, listen, if you prepare for something ahead of time, you imagine it you're more likely to do it later. It amazes me, I, was, I, was, I said to the uh, uh, first session here, and I told Greg, I was looking at some of the uh, reviews of Escaping the Matrix that Greg and Al Larson wrote. And one guy wrote that he didn't like the book, 
And he said, the reason I don't like it because they talk about using your imagination. And the Holy Spirit doesn't use the imagination. He only uses the word of God. And evidently, this is somebody who's not looked very closely at the scriptures. It's throughout the scriptures. It doesn't always just use the word imagination. But we're encouraged to think ahead, to plan. And so the third step is you want to mentally and emotionally rehearse. And so what I started doing was to mentally and emotionally rehearse. How do you emotionally rehearse? That takes us to the fourth step, which is what I call the zakar principle. You want to use the zakar principle. Zakar is a Hebrew word, simply means remember or remembering. We see this word used in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17 and 19, where God told Israel, he says, look, there's going to come a time where you're going to face nations that are greater than you. They're getting ready to go into to the land of promise. He said, you're going to face nations that are bigger than you, stronger than you, and you're going to feel afraid. This is how he told them to handle the fear. He said, if thou shalt say in thy heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? He said, you shall not be afraid of them. He says, don't be afraid. But that's not all he said. He didn't just say, don't be afraid. He gave them a strategy for not being afraid. He went on to say, thou shalt not be afraid of them, but you shall remember, you shall well remember, and that's where Zakar is, you shall well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and, to, and unto all Egypt, the great temptations which thine eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto the, to the people of whom thou art afraid. God said, I don't want you to be afraid, but he didn't leave them there. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to zakar. I want you to remember the mighty things you saw me do in Egypt. Call to mind all of the great, powerful, and mighty things that I did. Now, as they, were, as they would do that, as they would call to mind the, the wondrous things, the Red Sea splitting open, as they would call to mind the hell falling, as they would call to mind everything going black, pitch black, as they would call to mind the night of the Passover when, when God delivered them out, what would that do for their faith in God? It's okay for you to answer me. <laughs> it would increase their faith in God. They would be confident in God. The purpose of remembering in biblical thought is not just to take a nostalgia trip. Remembering is very practical. You remember in order to connect the past with the present. The past becomes a basis of action. It provides you with confidence. It provides you with certainty. It can provide you with joy. You remember in order to be moved by what you remember. So how do you emotionally rehearse? This is what I did. I would go back and I would remember, and I, took, I chose a time when I was about 16 years old, when I really desired to seek the face of God. I, was, I got saved when I was 14, I was 16 at the time. My brothers and I, we shared a room together. Uh, there was, uh, I have two brothers and uh, there was a friend of ours, so there's four of us in the room. And so we got the master bedroom and we had a bathroom in there. So I didn't want to disturb them. And I used to get about 5.30 in the morning. So I would go in the bathroom and I would wait. I just have this passion to want to seek the face of God. And I would go in the bathroom and I would worship the Lord. I'd go, And my brothers told me later, we heard you. <laughs> and it drove us nuts. Because we would hear at 5.30 in the morning, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. I said, why don't you just say, say it loud? <laughs> but that's what I would do. And every morning I would awaken with the sense that God wanted, me to, wanted to be with me and I wanted to be with God. So I remembered that. I brought that back to mind, Zakar, to, re to recall something back to mind in order to be moved by it.
And so as I, was, as I thought about that time and I felt those feelings, I felt that passion, I would then rehearse in the presence, opening my eyes, having those feelings, and going to be with God. I would use, I would, basically what I was doing was I was borrowing emotions of the past and bringing it into the present. And I was, so I would just imagine that, and I would rehearse waking up in the morning. I would think about when I was 16, feel those feelings, and then I would think about the present, and I would imagine opening my eyes and just having that desire to be with God. And I would rehearse that and rehearse that and rehearse that. And that takes us to the last step, number five. The fifth step is very simple. You want to rehearse your new mental emotional response daily until it becomes your natural way of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Rehearse it daily until it just becomes the way you think, feel, and behave. Greg's talked to you about neural nets. The way you form new neural nets is by experience. The experience doesn't have to be an experience in the real world. You can form it in your mind and your imagination with emotion. The more emotion you bring, the faster the neural nets or the neural pathways are created. And so I would rehearse this daily. I would wake up in the morning, and if I didn't feel like getting with God, and if the thoughts would come of, I don't want to die, nope, nope, I'm not thinking that way anymore, and I would think about when I was 16, I would feel those feelings, and I would just take a few moments to just feel those feelings and think about being with God, and every single time I would get up and just go be with him. I, would, I was spending time with God out of passion with God. I was directing my passions towards the things of the Spirit. And it just had to rehearse it over and over and over. The, these five steps are a way of separating your emotions unto God for his exclusive use. How you can get your emotions. You can use this for anything, for confidence. This is how you get your emotions to serve you in serving God. Use for confidence, for, for walking in love towards someone. For patience, I've used it for patience. Like I said, I got three kids, I need a lot of patience. <laughs> so I use it sometimes where, where that's concerned. I wanna share with you one quick story before we close of how I used this in my life early on in my marriage. Uh, if you have a chance to hear my wife today, please, uh, for, the, for the ladies here, please do so. She has an amazing story. My wife was sexually and physically abused from the time she was six to about 12 years of age. I mean, actually, maybe a little bit longer after that. And she, she's, God has done a great work in her life. But in the first few years of our marriage, there was some difficulty. We got married, and we didn't, we didn't think that the abuse would cause any problems. We come to find out very quickly, it did. When we would come together and I would seek to be intimate with her, she would clench, she, literally, she would just clench like this. And she would just hold herself. And she didn't want to be touched. Now I gotta tell you, when I got married, I was a virgin. So this was not the vision, okay? Not what I was expecting. But this is what would happen. And so what I would do, I would get frustrated, I would get angry, understandable, I would get frustrated and angry. I would hop out of bed, go downstairs, kneel by the couch, and I would pray. I was fortunate and smart enough to do that. I would pray. And I would pray and God would comfort my heart. And I would go back upstairs and go back to bed. But every time that would happen, I would get angry, get out of bed, go downstairs, kneel by the couch, pray, go back upstairs again. That was a continual cycle. One day I went downstairs and prayed and I said, Lord, this is not fair. You know, I, I, I stayed a virgin, I waited. <laughs> you gotta tell me what to do. And the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, I don't want you to get angry anymore. I don't want you to get out of bed and get angry. I don't want you to do that anymore. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you gonna have to show me how to do that. <laughs> Cause I have no, I was like, how? Okay, just, 
and I was just beginning to learn. I mean, literally, I was just beginning to learn these things. And the Lord just put on my heart, what I've shown you thus far, use that. So I begin to practice not getting angry. I begin to practice my response of just remaining calm, just remaining, you know, at peace, and not getting out of bed. And the very next time I, I, we were in bed again, I reached out for my wife, she clenched. And wonders of wonders, I didn't get angry. I just leaned over, kissed her, and she can say, it's okay. And I leaned over, pulled the cover over me, and I thought to myself, this really works. <laughs> this is so cool. And that began to turn things around. Years later, and by the way, in case you're wondering, did we ever get over that? Yes, we did. We have three kids. So we, we got over that. The Lord is good. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but the Lord did bring healing in, in that area of our life. But I, I share that with you to say that this can work in even some of the toughest situations. You can plan your response if you take the time to do so. So number one, you just need to decide how you're going to respond, and then you will respond that way. Number two, you need to say no to every thought that's contrary to what you have decided and that's contrary to the will of God. Number three, you need to mentally uh, rehearse or practice and rehearse in your imagination the mental emotional response. Number four, practice the Zakar principle. Borrow emotions from the past that you want to feel in the present and rehearse that in your imagination. And then number five, just rehearse it daily until it becomes a natural way, your way of thinking, feeling, and behaving. I want to leave you with one quote from Augustine that he said that I think is real important. Augustine said, emotions are the feet of the soul. They either move us closer to God or carry us farther from him. But without them, we will go nowhere. Your emotions are important. Sanctify them unto the Lord to serve him and to obey him. Amen? Amen. 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 You learned anything this morning. Amen. This has been a real blessing. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this with you. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word, your wisdom with your people. Lord, it's something I don't take lightly because these are your people. And Father, I, I, I pray that you will help them to apply this to their lives in their specific situations and that they'll see great fruit out of it. And I thank you, Father, for working in us both to will and to do it.